This week on the Boag World Show, we discuss user experience, top tasks and aesthetics with Jerry McGovern. The transcription for this week's show has been kindly provided by the team at MailChimp and awards are back sponsoring Marcus's lame jokes. Boagworld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name is Paul and I'm being joined, as always, by Marcus Clickbait Lillington. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. No, it's not. <laughs> I've seen your latest blog post. Right? Yeah, well, I learned from the master. Eh? Does agile methodology lead to poor interface design? Do you know, I've got, I have this bit of um, a, a great little app called, um, what's it called? Click. Click beats. I'll put a link in the show notes to it. That gives me live stats of, of the website. And um, you have caused the biggest spike I have ever seen on the Headscape website. It's <laughs> just gone absolutely nuts. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I know you're not going to believe me, um, but I kind of wrote that without thinking, oh, this will stir it up a bit, or even this is something that a lot of people are talking about. I've kind of realised that since. It's kind of weird. It's like, well, obviously, I um, I have got my finger on the pulse um, without realising it. Mm. So there you go. Yeah, see, I, all, all this time you've been trendy and cool without <laughs> even knowing it. Most people seem to agree with me, not everyone, but that's the way, that's the way of life, isn't it, really? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, but no, it's a good article, I have to say. Also, I suppose I'll put a link to the article as well in the show notes. Thank you. Well, it, I have to say, it did go out on Tuesday, and it and, and it wasn't until you posted it on your site, Paul, that it went a bit bonkers. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's <laughs> that's hardly surprising. Because you're so famous. It's, it is a, a far more popular article than, than um, my last couple of ones. Oh, well, there's something. So there you go. I'm enjoying it, actually. I'm enjoying writing articles. Now, it seems that, and I'm also enjoying bullying all the rest of the Headscape staff. Um, <laughs> hi, guys. Um, but they seem to be enjoying it as well. There's been some moaning, but everyone's going, oh, yeah, and here's mine. And uh, See, now that's funny, because I spent, what, 13 years trying to persuade people to write bloody posts. Well, you know what the problem was there? What? You were too prolific. They thought, oh, well, Paul will write something. Yeah, I know. Mm. But there you so- go. There you go. I'm not enjoying the amount of work that I'm having to do at the moment, though, and I know you're feeling exactly the same. For yeah, but reasons. mine's self-inflicted. Yours is is you know because yeah, one of, one of those things. Are changing. I'm having to be a bloody project manager. I mean, like a proper project manager. Oh no. Yeah. That's not that's not going to work. Lee is being a proper project manager as well. I, d- I don't know which is worse, really. <laughs> It's kind of equally terrifying but, that both of you are project. But even more terrifying than that, I'm having to project manage myself. Yeah, but at least it's just you. Yeah, that's true. I'm yeah. not screwing up anybody else's work. <laughs> yeah, although Lee's really stepping up to the plate. He's moaning about it, but it's like, yeah, you're doing a great job. You'll have to do more. <laughs> do you know, in some ways, I think it's almost easier to just, yeah. Especially if you're managing yourself, if that makes sense. You know, mm. the work you're actually doing. It actually makes a lot of sense, really. Yeah. We don't, yeah, I mean, project managers are a waste of time. <laughs> he yeah. says going to talk at a project management conference later in the year. <laughs> uh, no, uh, uh, Pete, Pete is, is hugely missed already and he's still here. <laughs> so Pete Boston's going to join um, Rob Borley he is, at, at yes. Dutrix, yes. which is... Um, so Rob used to work with us for years and years and years and then somebody dropped a huge amount of money on him. <laughs> and uh, once he'd recovered from the shock... He set up a company, which yeah. is doing really well. It's yes, he good. is doing really well. I mean, I had a lovely chat with him, oh, I don't know, probably getting on for a month ago now. But, he, you know, even though the situation they were in, they still had a sticky patch in the middle of last year. But, yeah, but they're I back think to, everybody did. But, you know, running, 
uh, run off run off their feet again. So they need a project manager, and they've stolen Pete. Bastards. Yeah. But I've got a possible lead on that front, but I'll I'll tell you about that one when it might come to something. Ooh. Yeah. Is it a lead for me? Because I could do with more work, because I'm just sitting around on my no, hands. No, not a lead, not a lead for work, a lead for another project manager. Oh, I see. Ooh. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> so much going on. It's all change. Yeah. And you don't get to hear about hardly any of it, or you do a week later. Yeah, well, that's all right. I don't mind that. I don't want to be. I don't want to hear all, all the ins and outs of Headscape. You're not that interesting. <laughs> Suddenly, for the first time, this I've realised how boring this podcast must have been for years. <laughs> well, it's not now. It's still boring. No, no, because now it's talking about my exciting new career and life. Ah, oh, well, maybe when you retire, Paul, you'll realise that that's boring too. <laughs> quite possibly, quite possibly. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing lots of cool things at the moment. Can I tell you some of the cool things I'm doing? Yeah, go on then. I'm, con- I'm involved in a startup. None of this boring kind of, you know, stuff I used to do at Headscale. I'm, I'm working with a trendy startup. Involved with what does that mean? I'm doing some consultancy. Uh-huh. And helping them with the, uh, the uh, user interface design and feature set and marketing and all kinds of stuff. It's really fun, but I can't tell you about it yet. Okay. Secret. Shh. <laughs> okay. Sounds great, I think. So I'm, no, I'm enjoying that one. That's a good one. Uh, I'm recording lots of videos, which is cool as well. It's all cool. Everything's cool. Yes, I saw that you were, you were persuading yourself to buy a Mac Pro. <laughs> yeah. Have you bought it yet? No. <laughs> I oh, can't ca- afford it. <laughs> Bastards. I like that. Uh, that's the one thing I'm missing about Headscape, just being able to buy random shit. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. It, it'll just... Because uh, it, it, somehow it was even more enjoyable when it was going to upset Chris. <laughs> now I'm just going to upset me, and it takes the joy out of it. Yeah. Well, has Kath taken over the role of Chris? Yeah, to some extent. She did let me buy a teleprompter mine. Yeah. Which is very cool. Did we talk about that on last week's show? No. Well, um, oh, I don't know. We talked about it, whether it was on the show or not. I've no idea. Anyway. So, yes. Things are going well. Life is good. Hurrah. Let's talk about sponsors. Talking about making money. Go on, then. Hey, we got a good sponsor this week. MailChimp. They are a good sponsor. Well, they're a good company. Well, they a good take a lot of my money, so I don't think they are that good, actually. <laughs> yeah. I seem to spend a lot of money with them on the newsletter. Yes, Can true. people stop signing up for my newsletter? Because the bigger my list goes, the more, uh, the more the more it costs me money. Yeah, I really ought I to don't send care. It. By uh, the way, sorry, I, I I don't care one jot. No, you don't. No, it's very expensive running a mailing list. No, actually, um, <laughs> this is not a good way to start talking about a sponsor is it they're very expensive uh, yeah 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 we kind of didn't do so well on the last couple of episodes on on uh, on bigging up the sponsor so maybe i'm just going to shut up well i shut up anyway and you still managed it to was me that did it yeah, yeah. But mailchimp mailchimp i've been using them for years and they are really very very good and they're again they're another one of the sponsors that yeah 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 we'll we'll help pay for the transcription of the podcast that's fine here's a watch of cash what what do you want me to say about you? Oh, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> it's great. So they got, uh, um, we've got like, they're in five episodes. So I'm going to spread out the things I'm going to say about them because otherwise cool. it will cover it all too quick. But all I wanted to say this week is they've got loads of really nice pre-designed templates that you can edit and mess with. Now, actually, later in the series, completely unrelated to this, we're going to be talking to Fabio, who's the guy that does there. Um, HTML templates for for uh, Mailchimp, and right. we didn't know that when we booked him on. And um, he, yeah, it's just fascinating. It's a great interview about how horrendously bad it is creating HTML email templates. So if you do want to kind of get into that side of things, then you might want to go with Mailchimp because there's a load of templates that you can use to start yourself off. But even better, they have um, a a newsletter builder which is shockingly flexible. I use the word shockingly flexible because it's this kind of WYSIWYG build-your-own newsletter email thing. But the the kind of horrendous code it has to produce under the hood in order to be able for your email to work on as many different email clients as possible is so impressive that I can't believe they've managed to do so 
allow so much flexibility when they're so constrained in what they can do then it's obviously got the normal stuff like um merge tags and that kind of thing so if you want to reference somebody's first name or some other field from the database you can easily do that um and then of course you've got the great forms that you can just pop into your website as you can see um if you go to uh, boagworld.com at the bottom of every page on our website there's um there's a form field uh, which allows you to sign up directly with mailchimp but what's quite nice about that is um we use their api to do it so rather than just copying and pasting their code which obviously they've got that kind of option for for um you know people that aren't as technical if you want to do something a bit different or in our case we wanted to really get rid of um you know wanted to pass it through our own filters and things like that then you can connect straight into their api and do it that way which is awesome so they've got really flexible, powerful system. If you want to find out more about them um, or give them, a, give them a go, because below a certain threshold, I don't think you have to pay, actually. So again, this is the kind of thing I should know as, <laughs> as somebody that is supposedly being a professional advertiser person. Let me just have a look. Um, yeah, you get 2,000 subscribers to, for free. So definitely just go and, go and give it a go um and um yeah try it out for yourself it's really very powerful very good um and you can get started really quickly so to find out more about them go to boagworld.com forward slash mailchimp so that's m-a-i-l chimp so there you go that is our first sponsor next up our interview yes this is a good one you like this one do you yeah i think he's fantastic jeremy govern jerry jerry is just absolutely awesome i got into um you remember we we interviewed christina halverson yes a, a while back who who herself is this kind of towering figure uh, uh, within the web design community and there was me and her talking on twitter and we basically we turned into i was going to say fanboys, but she was a fan girl um uh about jerry mcgovern who is just this this kind of amazing figure if you haven't come across jerry mcgovern he is um a user experience expert um he's an irish guy he's got and he he just absolute no bullshit you know if he doesn't like something he'll tell you um he's very rude about marketers so if you're a marketer you have been warned um he's very rude about design for design's sake um and he just very knowledgeable guy he he does this thing called top tasks which we talked about before and i mm. think it was him that that kind of coined that approach um and he does a lot of work in that kind of area so brilliant interview very very funny i feel very sorry for um the transcriber of this show <laughs> yes quite because this talk, is going to be a nightmare. so fast oh <laughs> just anyway. unbelievable oh the other thing i meant to say about jerry before we kick off is um he does um he has a great newsletter of his own um and we'll put a link in the show notes to obviously him and all of his stuff um and he also runs webinars free webinars every now and again um where he gets different people in and has kind of conversations with them he did one with me recently and i'll put a link into the show notes about that as well where we we were talking about um how to persuade senior management to to undertake digital change so um and again very insightful very interesting guy to chat with so um here's the interview with him anyway So thanks for joining us, Jerry. It's good to have you on the show. How are you doing these days? You are, you always seem so busy whenever I talk to you. Oh, pretty good, uh, Paul. You know, busy, busy, but busy in a in a good and productive way. I think there's always lots of interesting work out there for in, in for our, ourselves if we we just search a bit for it. You know, it's it's definitely there, and the whole environment is gradually maturing so i don't think we'd be out of work for a, a few years yet oh damn i was i was hoping for early retirement but there you go uh. so um jerry you're probably best known for top tasks that's kind of your thing and um you've been talking about it on and off for years and it's kind of a methodology that that you have implemented very successfully can you tell us a little bit about what it is and why you feel it works well? The essence of it, Paul, is is to identify um, 
what are the top tasks, but equally what are what I call the tiny tasks. And, and I have a saying that uh, when a tiny task goes to sleep at night, it dreams of being a top task. <laughs> and and, and it, it is all, like we're in the middle of a huge project at the moment, and, and it's the same issue again and again. Everybody agrees what the really important stuff are, but the whole arguments and the debates and the politics are around the lower level stuff, which is demanding a greater priority. Uh, you know, we, we often find there's an inverse relationship in companies. The more important it is to the customer, the less content or stuff they're, they're doing on it. You know, the, le- the less important it is, uh, you know, the, 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 that relationship of when it's of very little significance to the customer, they're making a huge effort. When it's of huge significance to the customer, they're making a, a small effort because, <laughs> because they want to push this stuff. So mm. top task is a kind of a league table from, from the most important to the least important so that you can kind of identify the stuff that has lower relevance and have the evidence not to prioritize it in your design or in your management or in your architecture or going forward, that you can defend difficult decisions of what you're not going to focus on. Yeah, now that makes a lot of sense. So how do you go about gathering those top tasks then? Well, all, all sorts of, you know, sources. You, you look, in a lot of stuff that we do now, we, we try and be channel agnostic, so to speak. We don't talk about the current website or the current environment. We're doing, we, recently, we did a, a large city in, in the UK and in the discussions, in the research. So we looked out there, what, what's, what were questions coming in from citizens or visitors or people coming to the city? And we noticed uh, uh, that hospitals and health authorities, where to find a local hospital in, in, this, in this city was something that was coming up in the external research. Now, it wasn't coming up from their website because they didn't have anything on hospitals because they said oh that's the nhs that's not us we're a we're a municipality or a council or whatever we don't do that stuff yeah but then when the vote came in it was the number three task right in in the environment so we tried to throw a a very broad net like a number of years ago we did microsoft uh, visual studio developer technologies and we found a great resource there was all the external communities that were talking about using developer technologies and stuff like that. So we, we try it. When we, people are buying a car, we would look wouldn't just look at, you know, cars.com. We'd look at how are people searching on Google. So we, we try and look at the world of, of the task environment. If you're looking after your health, if you're looking, we don't just limit it to, you know, the website or the environment that the organization has at the moment. We try and do a, a situation analysis on in dealing with your health. Well, what are the core things that are coming up in multiple different environments? So it's a big exercise to mm. develop the task list. And it's a kind of a lot of it is a almost like a change management process where we work with the organization to say, actually, people do want to do things. A lot of organizations don't actually believe that people come to their websites to do things uh, <laughs> at all <laughs> at all they, uh, they have this vague thing like oh they're just looking for information a kind of and what that means is they don't really need it for anything they're just vaguely looking for for this vague kind of thing called information and once we just put loads of information up on the website won't that be okay and the idea that they need this information to actually do something practical is often a revelation to a lot of people. Uh, yeah, I mean, because that was uh, the yes. question I was going to come on to, which is, you know, uh, do top tasks yeah. apply to brochureware sites, you know, to a content-heavy websites? Because when you, when you hear the word task, you think of, you know, I, uh, I don't know, f- filling in a form or using an application or something like that. But I, I presume but when you talk about tasks, that encompasses questions that people need answering to then complete a task. If that yeah, makes sense, I, I, totally and absolutely. And there's often that that mental separation that that you know content. And I think it comes from the world of the content order being so dislocated to the consumption of the content that a great many of them actually don't truly believe that content has any use. That it's <laughs> actually you know useful. Like, but if I if I'm coming to the web this morning and I hate the dark mornings and I go Dublin sunrise. 
you know, I, I want to know what time the sun is. That, that to me, it, it may be a small task, but it's still, it's something I want to know. It's a, it's a thing I want to do. And, and that, you know, information-based task, do I qualify for this pension? You know, mm. that's, a, that's a task. And maybe the next step will be, ah, well, now that I see that I qualify for it, I might apply for it. So, you know, the, we can break tasks into different worlds, but I think... The, the essence of the web is a doing environment. Like mm. we, don't, we, don't, we, you know, we don't say, oh, my doctor says I should search. It's good for me. So I, I try and search every day, but <laughs> what to search for. You know, we, we, a need comes up in our lives and then we go to search. I think it's almost a leftover from <coughs> the very early days of the web where you did used to browse the web for fun. I remember doing that, you know, I, I would go online and just see what was about, but nobody does that anymore. But that seems to be stuck in people's mentality in some way. It's very peculiar. There's an element of that, Paul. You remember in the very early days, you, you'd meet somebody, you'd meet a friend and you'd say, I didn't know Singapore had a hockey club. <laughs> like, You'd gather totally useless pieces of information because you were just amazed by this web thing. And then two months later, you just had, you know, your local football club, the BBC. You know, we, we narrowed in very quickly just yeah. the things that we really care about. I mean, that, that kind of gets into uh, when you talk about top tasks and you talk about um, actions and taking actions on websites, it kind of gets into... The realms of user experience design and what user experience design is, where it starts and stops, because, um, you know, as soon as you get into an issue like, um, I don't know, uh, a complaints procedure on an airline. OK, so they're going onto the website because they're unhappy with something and they want to complete a, a complaints procedure. Then you kind of get into the realms of not just how the website responds to it, but then what the back end systems are that support that or why the complaint came up in the first place. So where does this start and stop in terms of what you get involved with as a, a kind of user experience specialist? Well, it's a very it's very it's a very messy world, isn't it, Paul? And yeah. In- of, of, I remember I had a conversation years ago with a guy at uh, the contact form and, uh, on, on the website and, uh, and it, it went someplace but nobody ever looked at the emails <laughs> that were sent through and, and I was saying to this the, the guy uh, you know hey look, no, it's going into a, a, an inbox and nobody's ever looking at the in, inbox and the guy said yeah <laughs> uh, you know and I said yeah, but don't, don't you think that's a problem and he says, no. He says, why, why, why should I think it's a problem? The form is working. Yeah. You know, and, you know, that sort of thinking in the network work, you know, if, if we, we got a, you know, there's no point in saying, well, the, the complaints form was working. It's just nobody responded to the complaints. Not my problem. You know, yeah. it, is, it is our, and, and that's what makes our world very messy and difficult in that if, if, the, if the person, you know, if you don't book the flight, if you don't get and book that flight to Dublin, and I suppose ultimately if the flight doesn't take off and land you in Dublin, you know, you're not going to be happy with with Aer Lingus or with whoever you're dealing with. So, you know, we, we are, whether we like it or not, interconnected to a whole load of other teams and, and elements. And, and if the whole chain of the task doesn't work well, everybody gets a bit of the blame. Yeah, and I think we, uh, the, the real sign, I think, of a good user experience designer is somebody that's willing to follow the rabbit hole to the very end. Exactly. You know, you know to, to not say, well, this is my bit and yeah. this is where I stop. The number of times I come across organizations where people will express massive frustration with different parts, but they do nothing to fix it because they see it as somebody else's problem and nobody ever pursues things to the very end of the line. So that, that's a huge frustration to me you know you the likes of you and me will wade into anything you know we'll interfere where we're not wanted yeah <laughs> i remember a great example um is the the whole incident with the guy who tweeted um or took out a promoted tweet complaining about british airways and their customer service division and the whole thing had blown up because um somebody had lost his father's luggage 
and so he he com- uh, tried to complain about it, but they were only open business hours, and so he tweeted about it. And the, the tweets, you know, they only responded to tweets within business hours on weekdays. And so in his frustration, he took out a promoted tweet, and it blew up, and it became this big thing. So what was British Airways' um, solution? Well, it was to, to make sure their um, social media department um, uh, was open 24-7. They didn't in any way try to fix the lost luggage problem. You know what I mean? It was... Half the issue. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's interesting. Well, at least they at least they made half an attempt there. Yes, that's you know, true. I mean, somebody else would probably uh, go out and uh, hire an advertising agency to make out more tweets so that this guy's tweet would get downgraded. You know, in in, in the in the process, but. Yeah, it's that, it's it's putting that jigsaw together. There was the I remember years ago seeing a, a great T-shirt in in uh, in Belfast where the t- a Titanic was built, and on the front of it was a, a picture of the Titanic, but on the back of the T-shirt was it was all right when it left here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's spot on. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting there that you you mentioned advertising agencies being hired to, to to you know push out a marketing stuff. I have to say one of the great things of reading Jerry's blog is that um, he he likes to have a bit of a go at, at marketing and design and branding people. So I'm really interested to to uh, you know you 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 do tend to slam this group of people. Now obviously a lot of the people that listen to this podcast fall into those categories. So what where do you draw the line with design and branding? Do you do you think it has a place and if so how does that fit in with your kind of worldview? Well, absolutely and unquestionably. And actually, I, 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 my background is in marketing. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, well, there you go. You're allowed to then. <laughs> but I think it, it's a new form. I think, you know, I think it's a whole new world that, that we, we need to, you know, a, a approach. I think design has been hijacked by surface design. Like if you, if you, if you th- and, and many other, I, I forget the guy, the, um, Dyson or whatever, has talked about this as yeah. well, about how in the last 30 years of the 20th century, you know, design used to mean mo- how it worked. Yeah. You know, uh, whereas in the last 30 years of the 20th century, it became exclusively connected with how it looked. Yeah. Now, now, we need both, but I think we need a rebalancing. And if you, if you think of the brands that have emerged, the super brands, you know, is 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 Google a brand built on how it works or how it looks? Twitter, how it looks, how it works. You know, uh, even Facebook. You know, Amazon. You know, look at the super brands of of the last fifteen years. They are brands that have been built on on the the, the social capital of how it works much more than how it looks. And and of course, it's not one or the other. But we need a rebalancing. And and I think. We need a, also, marketers are inherently trained to get attention. M- marketers have very little capacity to give attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's, there's a, sh- we need new type of marketers that are much focused on, on being useful. You know, and ha- a lot of marketing, a lot of where I see the sale won and lost today is often in the support website where people are figuring out, how do you configure this thing? Or how do you do, you know, and people are often making decisions to buy or not to buy uh, based on areas of the organization that historically were never considered to be drivers of the sale. So, so I think we need a very significant cultural organizational shift in what marketing is in a in a modern world, and if we if we chase in this attention's arms race, we're constantly chasing attention, which is is a limited resource in a world which is exploding with things trying to get attention. You know, if we if we continue that game, you know, we're going we're, it's going to be a race to the bottom. Mm. But if we instead look at and and good search engine optimization is is that where you actually say well what are people actually looking for rather than trying to change their mind there's already hundreds of thousands of them out there already saying because the way i the way i consider a search is a search is like advertising the if we consider that the customer is now the marketer the customer is the advertiser and they go out onto the web and they market a need 
either by their behavior, how they search or where they click or what they do. And that we have we almost have to transform the relationship that, you know, we're responding to an ad from our customers first and foremost. And, and we so it needs a very different shift in culture. But the need to be actually good at creating, helping people make decisions to buy, mm. you know, is is a huge area. Uh uh, but it's it's a tra- I think it's a big transformation that's required in the marketing outlook away from an apps uh, you know when we the whole language of marketing is so it's so wrong like conversions I mean you I mean have you tried converting a Protestant into a Catholic recently? <laughs> <laughs> it's not conversion is not easy. It's not in, in this day and age. Like, when was the last time you went on the web and you wanted to buy a pair of golf clubs and you ended up booking a flight to Dublin? Yeah. Like, you don't, you, we don't convert people easily in an attention, you know, limited environment. So, but instead of converting, facilitating a, an already articulated need, which is out there in the millions, people are out there every day wanting to buy stuff. And marketers should be making sure that all those people who want to buy from them actually can buy from them. And also, I mean, it's it's also a difference in attitude in terms of, you know, it's always used to be we've got as marketers, we've got a product. We have to convince people to buy that product. But now we live in a world where actually we're getting constant feedback from users that should be shaping the product that we then are taking to the marketplace. Exactly. There's a co-creation process in 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 process and we're getting this constant feedback that is we're refining our product based on you know this sort of the web is this incredible laboratory of human behavior and we can you know we can dip in and 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 adapt and and change and you know facilitate and as these new needs are emergent and of course there'll always be there'll always be the the mad genius that comes up with the new thing that the market research would never have really have identified. But for the vast majority of us out there, it's humdrum, roll the sleeves up and figure out what the customer wants and keep like the constant beta type of mm. you know, ev- evolution. So there's, there's much more research. I mean, that's what big data is about. Yeah, and that's interesting. Let's come on to big data. Not that that was on my list of questions, but why the hell not? Yeah, I... I I think big data has both got its pros and cons in my experience. It can be a very overwhelming thing for people to deal with. And also, it's easy to misinterpret sometimes. And you need to know what you're doing going in. So what kind of advice do you give to organizations you work with who have huge amounts of data? As it's Where to begin with it all? It's, it's, it's a hugely complicated area, Paul. And, and, but the, the, the one thing that we do know is that it's there. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> you know? and, and it wasn't there 10 years ago in, in this sheer vol- It's there and it's massively growing. And, and what it is, is it's, it's human behavior. I mean, some big data is machine behavior, but an awful lot of big data is the, 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 the record of human behavior. Right. So, so it's very, very difficult for the exact reasons that you've articulated, that it's, it's incredibly easy to misinterpret, to see cause rather than effect, what's cause, what's effect, or, you know. But we need, we need the skills and we need to develop the skills of interpreting uh, this this record of human behavior mm. uh, and the better we become at it of of you know reading we're like these hunters so to speak maybe that's a terrible word as well but you know the tracks in the sand yeah. you, know, the, the, uh, you know you can go there as a tourist to the Serengeti and you, do, you don't have a clue but if you go with a good guide they can tell you how many wildebeest was by this way or whatever you know being able to read the data is, is one of the great skills that needs to be developed and it can probably take four years six years for some people four, six, eight years you know a four year degree course yeah. and four or five years more of, of active experience before you become even reasonably good at it but like it's there and those who become really good at it will will be competitively superior because they will understand 
what is happening in the marketplace better than those who don't. So, mm. you know, there's no escaping it. You can, it's there, you know, and some people will take advantage of it and, and, and some people won't. And those who, who, who properly interpret it will, will gain competitive advantage and those who don't properly interpret it won't. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's going to become, you know, one of the big growth specialist areas that, you know, people that can sift through this kind of information and draw out key nuggets from it. Can I jump in there a sec? Yeah. Because one thing, when we were talking about top tasks earlier, one thing that I found uh, frustrates me, and also you mentioned, Jerry, about basically if you, if you can put together a kind of priority list, you can show people that, you know, you, your tasks are tiny tasks, so we can... You know, we can push them down the list, that kind of thing. But what often comes back to me is if, if we've done, if we've surveyed users, people, um, you know, user, users of a, of, a, of a website or something like that, if we've, if, we've, if we've spoken to them face-to-face or we've got them to fill in forms, what often comes back to me when I'm kind of trying to argue the case for something is, oh, well, you only got the extreme views, that you got the lovers and the haters. You didn't get the actual users that, of, of whatever it is um, we're talking about. So that that's kind of connected to this big data thing. If you can read big data, then you're getting everything rather than just these necessarily extreme views. So I get, my question to you is: How do you deal with with if, if you're if, if you're get, um, trying to uh, get some kind of feedback from users of a website? Say, how do you get around this kind of like you're only getting the lovers and the haters? Uh, you know, it's a great question, Mark. And, and what we've found when we and, and see, this is where it can be good. You can verify it with the with the big data. Like, so we would like we've done a lot of work with Cisco, and, and the the top task there would have been uh, download software configuration, troubleshooting tasks like that. So when we would map then to the data on the website of how much software has been downloaded, how many configuration manuals are being looked at, you know, what sort of troubleshooting activity is occurring, in what pages. We, we, all, we found almost a like with like. So the, the method that, and this is a crazy, I mean, the survey method breaks every rule of, sur- of survey design. It's a crazy uh, method. We would, uh, in a, in a, when we send out a list, a final list, we just did it recently with the European Commission. It was the biggest ever. We had about 70, 80 tasks and over 100,000 people voted. Absolutely massive in 28 countries. So we give people this massive list. It kind of, it fries the brain, but it works, right? And, but when, and they can only choose their top five, right? But whenever we chart it back with other data sources, and we always try and do that, we find, we find like surprising gaps like, oh, the, this organization doesn't do stuff about health, so you don't find stuff there. But where it does map, where they do have other data sources, they tend to map very strongly. So we have done over 400 surveys, almost 400,000 people have voted in the last 10 years. And we find it's not lovers and haters. It's that a lot of people come back to us saying that. But when we map back to other data sources, we find that you do actually get a, if you get a reasonable number, like typically two to 400 people plus voting, you begin to, you begin to get a representative sample of your overall population. But if you're worried, map it back to other data sources and, and see are there, are there disconnects, so, so to speak. But most of the time, Marcus, we have found that actually we, we get a reasonable reflection of the world that is out there. Okay, that's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's I, I do find that an interesting area that I think a lot of people do have this this image that you get the extremes, and I suspect to some degree you do. But if you're drawing from enough data sources, that shouldn't necessarily yeah, be a massive a, issue. Mapping it back—that's that's the point. Yeah, I mean, I do find it incredible, really, that the top task thing works at all. Really, that you could present people with a list of seventy odd items. Um, and that they they pick the, the their top five. I suppose it's almost an instinctive thing as much as anything else. Exactly. See, and this is where it's so important to design your task list in language that it's customer centric. You know that. You, yeah. You know, 
Because what happens is that essentially it's designed to basically deal with the problems of, of uh, traditional surveys where people talk about things that they like and you don't, often a problem that you didn't really get their true intent. It's to really get to the gut. So people don't see the list. The list that kind of goes blindly and outcomes download software because it's already in your brain. Mm. So people don't look at this list and discover things that, oh, I'd be, it's more like it kind of just somehow psychologically resonates with things that you already care, care about in, in, in the process. And it, so it's designed to get that do as I do, not as I say, you know, to, to go away from that problem of what people say versus what people do. So the, the 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 overloading design is exactly as you say, Paul, to get to get to deep into that gut instinct, mm. and it it's it's unbelievable. And here's another thing: as we get the more complex the world becomes, like if you go into quantum physics or stuff like that, the more counterintuitive it becomes. <laughs> you know that is true. Actually, I will give you that. <laughs> you know, often the things we think. Are, are, are a no-brainer, you know, are not such a... Sometimes you're right, but sometimes we really get surprised by what I, actually works. I can imagine it's because, you know, if you present somebody with a list of 70-odd items, they're not going to go through that list going, oh, yes, I'd quite like that, and, oh, that might be quite useful. Instead, they have to go from the premise of, I want to do this, is it in the list? Yeah. Uh, and so, because that's what often happens. If you say to a user, you know, would you like X feature? They'll go to themselves, oh, yeah, that would be quite nice to have. And then when you go to all the effort of building it, nobody actually uses it because it was just a nice to have. Mm. While this is taking it from the other point of view. It's saying, okay, you, you know, tell us what you want and it'll be in this list somewhere. Just go find it, I yeah. guess. No, that's, that's it, Paul. That, that, you know, and getting that because if we have a, a, a vote, like uh, so, at, at the at the top, the number one task might get two and a half thousand votes, right? And the bottom task might get ten votes, right? So you get that absolute. You know, if the, if there were a hundred tasks in the list, the top five. And this is again whether it's whether we do it in Brazil, whether we do it in Iceland. There's similar patterns, right? So if we if we if we had a hundred tasks in the list, the top five on average will get as much of the vote as the bottom fifty. Yeah, it's almost the eighty twenty rule, isn't it? Really, but it's more extreme. Even I can't, mm. five. The top five tasks typically get between twenty and twenty-five percent of the vote. Right. So it's kind of the, then it begins to flatten out. So you get these this small set, and this is whether it's in health, buying a car, you know, uh, you know, in IKEA and BBC and it, it, all, all sorts of different environments. There's this relatively small, and all we're saying to the client is, hey, this is a, a set of really important stuff. Shouldn't this really be working well? You know, shouldn't we be making sure that that this sort of stuff, which has huge demand, uh, is is really smooth and, and 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 working really well? So we don't necessarily say, "Oh, get rid of the tiny tap." That kind of becomes almost a side effect. We rather focus the organisation and say, "Well, here's this stuff that's so important to your customer. Let's make sure it's working really, really well." Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Can we go back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of marketers and designers and stuff? I, I'm really interested to know what you see the role of designers being in the modern web. Because, you know, there, there is a balance. Is there, there seems to be these two extremes, okay? You've got, you know, the people that are doing design for design's sake. You know, it's, it's looking pretty, looks great in their portfolio. You know, it, it massages the ego of the client, etc. And then the other extreme, you've got, you know, Jacob Nielsen with his site he designed in 1998 that he's never changing. Uh, and there's got to be a balance somewhere in between. And I'm interested in where you see that balance lying. Well, and you're 100% right, Paul. I think basically it's how we define design. You know, if we define design in a holistic way that it, it's, 
you know, it's it's as much how you design the search engine and the search engine results and the and the booking process and the you know the 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 form you know form mm. and all those. If we take all that in, then design is absolutely central and and, and is the because if you get as, as I'm sure you found sometimes small little tweaks or changes or movements or or changing the size of a box or you know or, or shifting it to a certain position or you know kind of massive impacts on on the behavior so the the art of designing the entire environment is like absolutely central the mobile experience you know whatever using it and understanding all those things and and how the context and you know these to me are and and good and and choosing the right words is a design you know i think it's all design in in what i think it's all much more rigorous i i I think the whole process or the, the model I would be more interested in of we're into as you touched on a beta world and continuous improvement based on evidence. Now, whatever we want to call that, design or whatever, that's the world. So the world of people who are are in a in a in a beta model of getting something, you know, that it's always beta in a way that you're always rapidly evolving based on evidence of behavior. So you're constantly coming up with a hypothesis and you're testing it and refining it and testing it and refining it. You know, to me, that's design. It's a, you know, it's a, in, in the broadest sense of, of the word. So those skills to, be, to, to create the optimal environment that, that it facilitates the person in the smoothest, most elegant possible way to, to move through a space, a virtual space, and book their flight or check up if they've got cancer or not or, or you know, do all sorts of things or figure out how to vote or, like, is the gov.uk recently has, you know, uh, set up an appointment for their, 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 their family member who's in prison or whatever that may be. That's, you know, that's our world and that's a design. That's but isn't that somewhat dismissive of of the kind of aesthetic and emotional elements of designs? So, you know, to take that to its its extreme example, you know, if you look at the slot machine, right? Okay, in a, a, a you know in Vegas or whatever, you know, if if you had your way and and other usability specialists, probably myself included, would we not basically design it with just one big button on it that you just press and that's it and you either win or you lose because that's the simplest most user-friendly approach to it you know but isn't there actually an element where design enhances the experience creates an emotional response from you you know should should a product like mailchimp actually just get rid of all that stupid monkey and you know just have a form you fill in do you see what i'm getting at Uh, yeah i know but let's go to those um because because there's there's the tasks and there's the business ta- needs, you know, and, and and often, and they have to, of course, interlink. Mm. You know, that's that's the perfect world. So if you if you designed a really really simple, you know, slot machine, you probably make a lot less money from it. Yeah. So mm. so, so follow the money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah. And, like so, you you if if a mo- and, but of course. You know there is the other side, and I, I, and I try and avoid it, but we have to make a living or whatever. That marketing has come out of, and marketing and advertising has been founded in many ways on manipulation and fooling people mm. in, in in a lot of areas. And and you know that's you know that's Coca Cola, that's Pepsi, that's all these things. You know, I heard a marketer say to me once. He says, "When I'm really happy is when you know they say I'm going to buy this brand and I don't even know why." You know, this is that's when it's really working. And I think I think that's there's a whole culture, but I think we're coming at, as societies. It's like they've used those Pavlov dogs association, you know, techniques. I mean, that's where marketing and advertising grew out of the psychology schools in the in the twentieth century. And a lot of them, they were kicked out of universities and they went into and set set up advertising agencies. <laughs> You know, and, and that, you know, it's based on the precept that people are emotional fools. 
a lot, a lot of the time, a lot of, if we really cut to the chase and that we can really manipulate people if we, if we find their hidden triggers and get them to want things, you know, the sexy woman in front of the car and all the, all the, I mean, that, that, that worked in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And you see, gradually, a lot of these techniques are becoming less and less useful because we use them so many times it's like mm-hmm. they're like antibiotics we become the consumers becoming more and more immune to these to these type of stuff now that is different from aesthetics for sure but aesthetics has often been used that emotional stuff that that it's when a lot of times when marketers say emotional what they mean what unfortunately they mean is emotional manipulation yeah of of the customer and i think aesthetics has been very much unfortunately hijacked by the emotional manipulators in in a lot of uh, situations and you know do you ever see a car an ad of a car in traffic <laughs> <laughs> You know, every fucking car has its, is, is the streets of Rome are empty. The streets of London are empty. The streets of Paris are empty when they're driving their new car. Like, or they're sh- driving across a shimmering, you know, you know, desert. In no, we, that, that's that's the dream. That's the illusion. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes we buy that, and it's, it it works okay. But I think that sort of. And we need to separate that between something that is beautiful. And of course, Apple is beautiful. And of course, we want stuff that, you know, is beautiful to feel and beauty. Isn't that the perfect world where it's not it's not seeking to trick us, I mean, but it's making our day more. We enjoy it. You know, we you, we get what we need done, but it's enjoyable. I think that's a perfect world. And that's where a beautiful estate. Absolutely. But. The, unfortunately, a lot of that branding and beauty has been has been hijacked by the by the the tricksterism mm. that has, has you know been so dominant in marketing and advertising for the last fifty or sixty years. Yeah, no, I totally agree. There's one one question I want to finish up with, which is that uh, you know I know a lot of people will be listening to this and they will be thinking, yeah, I completely agree with this. I can see where you're coming from. Um, but my boss or my manager is so embedded in that old school way of thinking of, you know, of uh, just shoving content online, covering every eventuality, making it look pretty and marketing the hell out of it. Where do you start to kind of build a case for change of approaching things differently? Well, I think it's, it's, it's like, as you say, Paul, you build a case. And at the very most basic level, you know, do testing, do A-B testing, do, you know, say, well, look here, wait, bump uh, the big, uh, and we got a, a 2% conversion rate. And if we do it this way, we get a 6% conversion rate. I think it's finding places where we can, we can show, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it, bring the evidence. Don't yeah. bring your opinion, bring the evidence. You know, and a lot of times... You still won't won't succeed. I, I think a lot of a lot of senior marketing people have have you know they 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 park their brain at the door and 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 they then they plug the advertising agency brain in or or else you know sometimes I think the ad agencies must have pictures on 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 senior managers or something they must have something on file that. that that is really because it's like they can't think w- without without the ad agency, and 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 you have to say to the ad agency, fair play to you. You've so got senior marketing people in your pocket; it's extraordinary. But you know what? They're going to both go chew- down the tubes together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is. I, I like that. You know, don't don't tell, show. You know, do those little little test cases. Try stuff out and and show that there is a different way. But I do agree. Sometimes you are fighting a losing battle. Sometimes you do need to go and find another company that that um, thinks about things in a different way. Oh, Jerry, it's a pleasure to have someone as bitter and twisted as me on the show. <laughs> it's been it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you for coming on, and uh, we will get you back again in the future, no doubt. And, and Paul, we're optimists at heart. <laughs> Are we really? <laughs> oh, thank you very much, Jerry. Okay. Great to talk to you. See you Paul. Bye, Bye now. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you, Marcus. Bye now. See you, Paul. Bye.
So there's Jerry. What yeah. a star. <laughs> There's not really an awful lot you can say after that, is there? No, no. He just kind of... He leaves you a little punch drunk, doesn't he, really? Yeah. But such a cool guy. Um, definitely worth following. Um, his blog, he channels my my mind. Whenever I read his... You know, I actually think I'm going to do myself an injury with his blog because I sit there and I'm nodding so hard. One day, either my head's going to fall off or I'm <laughs> going to pull a muscle in my neck or some bad thing is going to happen because he's just, he just so spot on all the time and very funny too yes talking of funny (laughs) nothing to do with me no it's marcus's (laughs) joke time yes but awards are sponsoring it and they're at least interesting yes they are and they're lovely because i'm pretty sure we didn't say lovely things last or lee didn't it was lee he was it wasn't he didn't not say lovely things he was just very rude about the whole idea of having a sponsor on the show he was, yes. And I've done a lot of work with awards um, over the years, and they're a really nice bunch of people, which is always great, isn't it? Um, but, uh, yeah, so they're, they're, um, the, the thing that we want to talk about this week, you remember last time I said about how I, um, I turned down a trip to Barcelona mm-hmm. with them for yes. their event scene? Yes. Well, it's not just because obviously they do awards, clues in the name, but they also do a conference around it. So on the 24th and 25th of February in Barcelona, they're running a conference. And if you can get there, I think it's going to be uh, a really good one. It's their second annual conference and prize giving. So it's a two-day event. And what I really like about it is one track, right? I love one track events. I hate having to have, having a choice. That's the thing I hated about South by most of all. Yeah, and when it got up to kind of 20 tracks, yeah. it was... Uh... Well, we used to go to the bar. Yeah, exactly. You end up <laughs> choice paralysis, I think the word is. But yeah. even if there's two, it's so frustrating because, you know, you can guarantee the two talks you want to see are on at the same time on two separate tracks. Yeah. And also, to be honest, I think the more tracks there are, the more they tend to pad the line up a little bit. Um, so two-day event, one track. It's got speakers from Spotify, Adobe. It's got Bruce Lawson, who's just an amazing speaker from um, Opera, who are also sponsoring the show, but that's another thing. Oh. And they've got loads of people coming from all over the world. Um, uh, 30 countries, I reckon, I'll have represented. So I think it's going to be a real kind of European melting pot vibe thing going on. And it's in is, Barcelona. Is Bruce on the show next week? I don't know. Is it next week? It might be. See, now again, I was supposed to check this before we yeah. started, wasn't I? Have you been following his his recent tweets? No. He's in Thailand at the moment. Oh, yeah, because um, his wife is Thailandese. Yeah. Oh, he's in Cambodia, sorry. Oh, right, okay. He's in, he's in Cambodia, uh, yeah, and sort of sending out pictures um, of stuff and making out like he's having a bad time. Oh, it's, it's hard life. He's, he's so not having a bad time. No, he's actually not on next week's show. He's on the show a week after. Oh, okay. It's Andy, SEO Andy next week. We're going to be right. talking about SEO. Okay. And that's always good. But Bruce, yeah, Bruce is amazing. And Bruce is going to be at awards. Um, find out more about awards. Go to boagworld.com forward slash awards. But it's A-W-W-W-A-R-D-S. See what they did there? Awards. I know. It's impressive, isn't it? <laughs> I, I just think, I think that's the best thing about them, the, the witty pun and play on words they did. If you want to know more about the conference, mine, because that, that URL will take you to the homepage. Um, the conference um, is uh, available on their website as well. You'll just need to kind of click through to it. But it's, it looks a really good one. If you get to go to it, I hate you forever. Mm. Joke. I love Barcelona. Oh, I know. I haven't been for a couple of years. You know, I, but you know, I say I know. I don't know. I've never been there. <gasps> Shocking. It's not far, and you can get there really cheaply and stay really cheaply. Well, I could have stayed very cheaply indeed, because somebody would have paid me to go. What was yeah. I thinking? Well, I don't know. What were you thinking? I'm an idiot. It's fabulous. Go. Anyway, tell me a joke. Yes. It better be good. I was having a little sort of ferret around for jokes, uh, and I came across this little gem from Rob Green. Mm-hmm. who is at the University of Northern Iowa. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> excuse me. <clears throat> um, what's the difference between an oral thermometer and a rectal thermometer? See, now this... Um, <laughs> what is the difference, Marcus, beyond the blindingly obvious? The taste. Oh, no! 
no. Well, you know, sometimes so, you have to push it, push the uh, the boundaries a little. So we have just associated awards <laughs> with rectal th- thermometers. See, this it's is the kind of problem you're, you're putting me in. Blame Rob. <laughs> put me in a very difficult position, Marcus. Really? No, not really. <laughs> All right, so that's uh, that's this week's show. So as we've already said, SEO Andy. Mm-hmm. Andy Kinsley, I think is his proper Kinsey. name. I just call him SEO Andy the whole time. Yeah. He's on next week talking about politics. Is he? Well, he does very, very briefly. Oh, right. He's a Labour councillor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, we did these interviews a while back and I forget. Yeah, see, got memory of an old man. Yes, true. <laughs> okay, so that wraps up this week's show. Please join us again next week. Um, for, I think there will be a really interesting session, actually. Um, if you have certain opinions about SEO, as I do, then I think it will, you will find it a very enlightening addition to the podcast. So join us again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh,